morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. I, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. The person of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation. But the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. A person who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice, he gave us new birth by the message of truth, so that we would be the first fruits of his creation. The Epistle of Straw. This is what 16th century Augustinian monk and the key figure of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, famously called the Book of James, the Epistle of Straw. And I was going to wear a straw hat today just to play off the theme, uh, but I didn't want to ruin my beautiful COVID hair style, so I didn't wear it today. But uh. Martin Luther's critique of the letter of James was that, uh, and I quote, was that it has nothing of an evangelic kind. It did not, like the New Testament writings of the Apostle Paul, talk about or reflect directly on the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, at least not in the way that Martin Luther uh, would have preferred. But you know, we also have to remember Martin Luther and his fellow reformers were pushing against an institutional church structure and a theology that taught that salvation and forgiveness were dependent on legalistic practice of religious works. And so a biblical book like James that was about the works of faith was well problematic. For example, Martin Luther loved the book of Galatians because it talked about the freedom from legalization that we have in Jesus. Because of this, he had a hard time harmonizing the writings of Paul with the letter of James. So, 
having spent eight weeks in the book of Galatians, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, not as our work, but God's work in us, Sam and I naturally thought it would be fun to now move to James, the epistle of straw. Now, obviously, well, hopefully somewhat obviously, we aren't just going through it because of some sort of dry sense of humor. Uh, we are, uh, we might not be, we might be a little shallow, but we're not that shallow. We thought it would be, uh, we thought that James has a lot to say to us as followers of Jesus in 2020. And we thought that this balance of the work of God in us and our participation in it and the works that flow out of us uh, went hand in hand. If James is an epistle of straw, perhaps it's because bricks made with straw give form and strength in the building of a home where God dwells. Uh, But perhaps that's pushing the metaphor uh, too far. So we'll just move away from it. (laughs) Now, like many books of the Bible, the epistle of James is a letter that there is some dispute as to who wrote it and when it was written. However, tradition and many scholars do believe that it was written by, get this, this is mind-blowing, written by someone named James. Surprised? (laughs) Just kidding. The most held belief, which I think is the most likely, and you know, if I think it, it must be true. Just uh, quoting from probably uh, the internet. If it's on the internet, it must be true. If Greg thinks it, it must be true. But the most held belief is that James, who wrote this letter, was actually the same James who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem in the first century. The James we read about in the book of Acts. And perhaps more significantly, this James was actually the younger brother of Jesus. Yes, that Jesus, not a different one. Well, some Christian traditions hold to the belief that Mary, the mother of Jesus, remained a virgin throughout her life in some sort of desire to maintain her purity. The New Testament tells us in a number of places that Mary had other children and that James had literal brothers and sisters. We know that his siblings did not believe in him as the Messiah, well, at least until after his death and resurrection. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that after Jesus rose again from the dead, he appeared to the 12 apostles, then to more than 500 believers, and then he appeared to James as well. I guess typical little brother gets the, the, is the last one to find out what's going on. <laughs> we can only assume that it was upon seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead that James came to believe that his brother was truly the Messiah the Son of God. Now, how weird would that be to find out that your brother, someone that you thought was kind of, kind of crazy, talking all of this ridiculous talk, calling himself a prophet, an embarrassment to the family, and someone who was killed for his crazy beliefs and left your mother devastated, turns out to be the Son of God. Reminds me of those TV shows. The DNA tests have come in. Your brother's baby daddy was actually the living God. As far as fascinating family dynamics goes, 
family dynamics goes, this one takes the cake. James meets his resurrected brother, and he realizes that his brother is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. James begins his letter not with saying James, the brother of Jesus, but by saying James, a servant of God and the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. James identifies his relationship with Jesus, not as his brother, but as one of servant. A servant to his brother Jesus, of his Lord and his Messiah. Can you imagine the humility and the character that James must have had to have come to this place to call his brother Lord? Now, as we read in the books of Acts, book of Acts, coming to believe in his brother as the Messiah, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem for somewhere between 20 to 30 years. It is likely while he was in this position that he wrote this letter, that uh, he wrote it to believers who were spread out around the surrounding nations. We are going to be spending the summer going through James's letter, and as we do, we will see just how non-straw-like it is. Though, as Martin Luther points out, James doesn't write to teach evangel evangelistically about Jesus the Messiah. He begins with this truth of Jesus as the Messiah as the foundation. And the letter builds on this understanding that the hearers already know this good news. And so it reads like a collected wisdom from those who have learned to trust in Jesus their Messiah in different aspects of their life. One thing that we'll find in the letter of James, perhaps more than most New Testament epistles, is that it sounds a lot like Jesus. A lot of the teachings and the images read just like things Jesus says in the Gospels. It's kind of like how when you see me and my brother walking beside each other, you can tell that we're related. James's letter has a noticeably similar gait to the teachings of his brother, his Savior, and his Lord. And the family resemblance doesn't end there. There are a number of places in the letter of James that sounds also a lot like his mother, Mary. Likely a young teenager at the time of her divine pregnancy, Mary already had the collected wisdom to say this in Luke 1. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Verse 52 again. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And Jesus, Matthew 23, 11 to 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who, are, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then James 1.9. 
believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their ought believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position the rich those in high positions should take pride in their being humbled in their being brought low do you notice any family resemblance yet i remember in 1996 yes i'm that old in 1996, when Jacob Dylan, son of legendary Bob Dylan, released his first album. In his interviews, he kept saying that he wanted his music to be known based on its own merit, not because he's Bob Dylan's son. And the interviews often went something like this. I might be Bob Dylan's son, but I don't want to be known for that. You know, just because I'm the son of legendary Bob Dylan, I wish people would stop focusing on that. You know, focusing on the fact that I'm Bob Dylan's son. You know, the Bob Dylan son. Yeah, Bob Dylan. James, in his own right, he could have used his family heritage for clout. Yet he chooses to identify himself not as the brother of Jesus, but as a servant to his Lord. Which gives us all the more significance to the family language that James uses throughout the book, but particularly in the passage that Karen read for us. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every, uh, sorry, the English, I just, I wanted to point out, my dear brothers and sisters, this English translation is actually somewhat lacking because the word here is actually Beloved. It's better read, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Every perfect gift is from above. And this is also, this is one of those places where the English can't quite do the, the original Greek justice. This is probably better translated as every good giving and every perfect gift. He's repeating the same idea twice to emphasize how, how key this is. Every good giving, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. James here He is painting a picture of a new family tree where God is the good father who gives us birth through the word of truth. And again, the word here in original Greek for word is logos. This isn't talking about the written Bible per se, but about the very logos, the very word that comes from God, living and active. This is not informational truth, but the idea that when God speaks, things happen. And logos, as Jesus, the ultimate manifestation and namesake of logos, God's word which is spoken and causes things to happen. We are given birth into a new family tree by the living Logos of God. And while there are a lot of things going on in these first 18 verses of James, it seems to me that they are all held together with this common thread. 
God, the Heavenly Father, is the giver of every good giving and every perfect gift. And we have the choice as to which family tree we are going to be a part of. One family tree is God who only gives good things. And the other family tree we find in verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The imagery here is pretty intense. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Although later in the letter of James, uh, he will speak about Satan, about the evil one, here he identifies that this tempting actually comes from within. In the original Greek here, the word evil is actually not there when it says um, by their own evil desire, it actually is just by their own desire, but this desire is an unhealthy desire, which is why English translations put the word evil in. It is a lustful desire, a ravenous craving. Deep within the brokenness of our humanity, we all have places where we crave and lust after unhealthy things. Most of us do not need to pause and reflect for very long to identify some of these unhealthy desires within us. And it is these unhealthy, lustful desires that are like a good fisherman or fisherwoman. Uh, they cast out an attractive and an enticing lure. It catches our attention. And when we give in to the tempting allure of this bait, we find ourselves caught on a hook and being dragged away. The lust for wealth and the craving for exalted status, seeking to find security in them, this is one of the lures that only serves to pull us in, dragging us down, only to find that what we thought was secure will wither and be destroyed like a wildflower in the scorching heat, as James tells us. And we find that those who exalted themselves because of riches or status are brought low, while those who are humbled are raised up. And then James, he switches from this metaphor of one of fishing to one of birth. That impure desire that lures us and drags us away becomes a pregnant mother who gives birth to sin. And then sin, once it itself has grown up and matured to birthing age, sin then gives birth to death. It's a nice family tree. One family tree gives birth from desire to sin and death out of our impure desire. Yet one family tree gives birth to life out of the word of truth to become children of the good, gift-giving Father of heavenly lights. James wants to make sure that we are not deceived to believe that God has anything to do with this other family tree. Verse 8. 
Oh, sorry, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And then verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God does not have any part in your being tempted by desire. He is not trying to test you to see if you make, will make the right choices. He's not trying to catch you being disobedient so that he can punish you or discipline you. That is what a terrible father does. Not a father who gives good and perfect gifts. In fact, even with the things that are hard in life, the trials that we go through, James tells us that God can turn even these into a blessing. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, sounds an awful lot like his brother Jesus here. I think it's important to note that, where, that nowhere... In the book of James, and in this passage, does James suggest that God is the one who is causing our trials? Nowhere does James suggest that God is the one who is testing or, or giving us these trials. But even still, the God, who is the good gift giver, can turn our hardships and our trials into something good. That God can use it to grow in us, to produce in us perseverance. Verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces, produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. When lustful, ravenous desire matures, it gives birth to sin and then sin to death. But the work of perseverance, on the other hand, gives birth to godly maturity and the crown of life. And to aid us in the persevering of our faith, our Father, the good gift giver who gives generously without finding fault, offers us the gift of wisdom. Beyond mere informational knowledge, wisdom is the ability to discern and to carry out the will of God. Now, I want to pause here for a moment to acknowledge this uh, seemingly random backdrop here of uh, music, flying music. Especially when the air conditioning kicks in, you'll see that there's some extra flying going on. It's not actually random. And you may be wondering, what's with this kind of, there's a music theme. Well, in classical music, when a composer wrote a piece of music, they gave, it, uh, they gave that work a number as a simple way of identifying it. And the word they used is opus. Opus is simply the Latin word which means work. Opus one, opus two, work one, work two, and so on. And while the composer's musicality was not dependent on them composing works, even if they didn't write music, they would still have that musicality within them, 
Yet on some level, they had to compose and give expression to the music that was within them. Their musical works gave expression to what was already a part of them, and the living music in them naturally gave birth to living works, to their living opus. In a similar way, James gives us opus 1, opus 2, opus 3, works that are born out of the faith that is deep within us. The works themselves are not what gives us our identity in Jesus, but they are an outward expression of what it means for us to be children of the Father of heavenly lights. They are works that bear witness to our new family heritage in Jesus. What family resemblance do we have to our heavenly Father? Do we resemble a family tree which is born out of unhealthy, lustful, craving desires, that which gives birth to withering destruction, sin, and death? Or do we resemble the family tree that is born out of the word of truth and gives birth to perseverance, wisdom, humility, faith, and, well, all good things? We have a choice. In the covenantal language of the Old Testament, we can choose death or we can choose life. But if we think we can choose both, we are double-minded. Double-minded is a word which means we have two psyches, living with two selves that are in opposition to each other. And when we live like that, living in the doubt that God is good, living in a way that gives birth to impure desires, to sin and death, we are like the waves of the sea. Waves do not have any character or any energy of their own. They are not intentional on their own, nor do they have any control over what they do. They are simply pushed and pulled by winds and tide. We have a choice. A choice to be like the waves, to be tossed around whenever our lustful desires push and pull us, enticing us and dragging us away to sin and to death? Or we can choose life. The choice to not be deceived to believe that God is not a good God. To not be lured into sin, lured into giving up, lured into finding identity and hope and financial wealth, lured into thinking that God is tempting or punishing us. The opus, the work of faith in choosing life is to be anchored in the faithful truth that from our heavenly Father comes all good giving and perfect gifts. And to receive and walk in his gifts of perseverance, wisdom, faith, humility, and life. And to know that it is in Jesus that he gave us this birth to be his beloved children and to be one another's beloved brothers and sisters. What work, what opus, what song is God composing in you? Let's pray. God, we choose life. As you have chosen to give us birth through the word of life, so we choose to remain and to walk in your family tree. 
We ask God that by your Holy Spirit, you would do a good work within us to enable us, to help us to sing that song, to compose that work which you have called us to do as an expression of the faith that you have placed within us. And so we offer you ourselves with thanksgiving that you have adopted us into your family heritage to be a part of your family tree that from generation to generation we would love you in spirit and in truth and that your perseverance, your wisdom, your faith, your humility, and your life would grow in us. Amen.